Happy guy who got impaled making people buy flowers, yeah. even when they didn't do anything wrong. We've always oh, yeah. done something wrong. Oh, yeah. It's episode 15 of the Technologist Podcast. I'm Larry Burden, and he's been able to come to grips with the voice in his head by naming it his muse. Oh, that's a good one. It's the technologist, David Noller. Today's topic, should he choose to accept it? Inviting creativity in the classroom. I so love this topic. And actually, before we start, I want to sure. do, I'm going to, I'm going to steal Andy Phillips' moment of zen from the EdTech Loop podcast okay. we just recorded because I think it fits. Okay. Um, so shout out to Andy here. Tell me, and I forget. Teach me, and I may remember. Involve me, and I learn. It's in the old uh, Ben Franklin quote. So yeah. with that, yeah. I think that's kind of why we are interested in involving or incorporating creativity in the classroom. So I, I was noticing you had some notes, mm -hmm. and then I noticed the notes grow. grew. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I did when I first started looking into this was I reached out to our um, secondary teaching staff, and I asked them to fill out a survey on how often do you engage with creative writing or visual arts in the classroom. And I got the kind of responses I think we would expect to. People who are engaged in the humanities and language arts and history find an easier time of engaging with those kinds of learning opportunities than people in math. Science is kind of a halfway between depending on the subject area. Dave Kirby is kind of a local legend for using creative approaches to demonstrating what you've learned. He blows stuff up. He blows stuff up. They launch things. They they build things that hold a bowling ball with as little weight as possible in the structure. They've done all sorts of creative ways of, of demonstrating learning. But I, I did talk with Kirby about this, and even he said that sometimes he always has a student or two who gets so caught up in the creativity of it that they forget about the learning part of it and their things don't work very well. It looks really cool and it had some great ideas, but without the follow through or without being able to connect those ultimately with success, they weren't able to really demonstrate what they knew. So one of the things that I'm interested in how creativity reinforces learning and we don't use it just for its own sake, we do it connected to some learning goal. In the ISTE standards, we have what's called the creative communicator. And I'm just going to read a couple snippets from this. That students use original works or responsibly repurpose or remix digital resources into new creations. That students communicate complex ideas clearly and effectively by creating or using a variety of digital objects such as visualizations, models, or simulations. And that students publish or present content that customizes the message and medium for their intended audience. So those three little bits within that creative communicator are some nice jumping off points for how can I develop more creativity in the classroom, especially using things like online tools and what we already have available to us, whether it's creating something brand new or for somebody like myself who's not a great artist, but I can gather some visual resources to put together or even take a, a, an image that we have responsibly sourced from you know, the internet in such a way that we're allowed to use it. Another teachable moment. And allow kids to do things like create memes where the meme reinforces a concept. Memes don't have to be funny. They can be, and they can be funny and educational, uh, but we can allow kids to create in this medium that they're already familiar with. And the whole point, of course, is to make that connection back to the curriculum in such a way that impacts them. 
that it sticks with them. What was the Ben Franklin thing? Uh, Involve me and I learn. There you go. Involve me and I learn. And I feel like it, as much as I can involve them in what they know and love, that only increases that. You know, I can tell them all about comparisons to jazz music, but I have very few kids in my class who are going to make the connection with me when I go to jazz. But if I can reference something that's closer to their cultural center and have them make a connection there, then that kind of a connection is going to stick longer. It's it's interesting that you're saying this. So when I was doing a little bit of research as well, I went to John Spencer, okay. a great follow on, on Twitter, and he had a little list of five things that happen when you take creative risks. Okay. And the first one completely jived with what you're saying, build empathy with students. Yeah. So number one, bam. Number one, build empathy. And I actually have a list, but it's from a different source. Oh, this is great. So, so I, I, wonder, I wonder how close these are. I know. That's So let's do this. So the other thing that comes from student engagement when they are invested in it themselves, when they're intentionally engaged, is we see more of the growth mindset that they're able to advance in such a way that they can reflect on something that they know as a way to move forward. And by taking a risk in a creative space, we know there's going to be happy accidents, the old Bob Ross thing. Mm -hmm. When we're doing academic work, purely academic work, we make mistakes or we get it right. When we're engaging in a creative space, we have happy accidents that allow us to reflect and improve and get better. That's why band, choir, theater, all these artistic expressions, kids love it even though it's school, even though it's class, because when they make mistakes, they have the opportunity to revise and rehearse and get better and better. And that's that growth mindset. And that's one of the things I love about this practice. Number two. Yeah. Demonstrate failure as part of the process. See, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, another one is um, engaging students in a way that welcomes in more participants. Um, it's a way to build confidence in kids who may not be the academic-minded student, but they get things on a different way or they get things on a different level. And by opportuning them, opportunity? No. By offering uh, we them. Can, we can make that word work. Opportuning. Sure. That is now a new thing. Ed Tech Loop right yeah. there. We are trademarking it. Okay, opportuning. So by, by opportuning the availability of creativity, those students who prefer to engage in the arts have another way to enter into conversation with the content we're trying to get them to you know, engage with. It kind of builds that empathy again. It mm -hmm. involves more students. Number three, create a culture of creative risk-taking. Creative risk-taking, there it is. There you go. Here's one more, personalization. Okay. When I tell a student, or let me back up here, when my wife is doing the cell model in biology, she has them create a metaphor for the cell so if your cell wants to be based on the metaphor of a football team, okay, what's the mitochondria of the football team? Okay, so what does the head coach represent in the cell? Uh, if you want to do a, an automobile, because that's the thing that you love to work on or love to do or just like cars because they're cool, the engine is what? What are the wheels? How are you going to represent the flagellels? So personalization, it's, it becomes more student-focused. It becomes more how do I individually make sense of this information? You're, you're yeah. finding a place where they can, to meet them, we're allowing, you're meeting them. Yeah, we're, we're, letting them, we're letting each student set the connection point for himself. Mm -hmm. So instead of me saying, hey, this is just like when I used to coach soccer or when I was in this big band in 1984, 
And this is how we're going to create the metaphor around my understandings of it. I can give that as an example and then say, how would you make that comparison? How would you connect something that you're familiar with or you love to this idea? The content is less important than the concept. Right. So personalization. I did not have that one. Uh Uh, My next one was uh, redefine the idea of inspiration. Well, I think that has to do with both the growth mindset and the ultimate goal of creating these opportunities that are student-centered. That's where the locus of control is in in the student and not always coming from the teacher. We know from years and years and decades of research that students learn better when they feel like they're they have input into the content and they have input into how to understand it. They're empowered and they're engaged. And I have one more, and that's communication. We hear over and over about how you know kids are getting more isolated because they're digging into their phones and they're this and that. And there's there's arguments to be had on both sides there. But one of the things that happens when you ask kids to be creative is they have to defend and justify their choices to people who didn't start with that assumption as the comparison or the model. If I have a student who decides, okay, I'm going to build a cell, but I'm going to focus it around a eight-man rowing crew. Okay, how come? How does that work? What are the structures that I don't know about that you do that help you understand that cell operation that maybe when I realize how those things work, that can help me too? And so that creative option, instead of just saying the answer is, students have to justify, they have to explain, they have to bring this idea to somebody who's not familiar with the idea in such a way that that person can say, oh, I get that. You're building, again, going back to empathy. Mm -hmm. And that's a skill. Yeah. That's a skill that's oftentimes in a traditional model, not even part of the playing field. Suddenly you're putting it front and center. Right. And that's something that, you know, yesterday I read my students, the little engine that could. And then we use that as a jumping off point to explaining or highlighting the six steps of the hero's adventure, kind of a Joseph Campbell model. Mm -hmm. Today, I asked them to think about their favorite movies and create a similar kind of outline of their film according to these six steps. And it wasn't a um, really necessarily an artistic piece or a creative piece uh, in the sense of creating a visual model or anything like that, but it was something that was done intentionally to try to get them to engage new material with something they like something they love, something they're familiar with. I used the little engine that could because A, everybody knows it, (laughs) or nearly everybody, and B, it's short and sweet and it has everything I need. And when I started going through the six steps and, and kind of outlining what those were like, we kept going back to the little engine. We kept going back to when the little engine said, but I'm just a little engine that switches the trains in the yard. There's your refusal of the call. But Something happened that made him say yes. That's the intercession of fate. And that's when the little toy clown says, but all the little girls and boys on the other side of the mountain won't have any good food to eat or toys to play with. Boom. So it's about making that, allowing kids to make connections to their understandings. You can model it with your own, but giving them the opportunity to engage in a way that makes sense to them. And find new ways, new ways that maybe um, you as the educator didn't see initially, which is kind of goes to the the fifth one that John Spencer had pointed out. It's the starting place of innovation. Absolutely. You know, Uh, one of the things we're really trying to do is, you know, build that innovator's mindset, the creative mindset. And by giving them some agency in their own learning, we're starting that path towards innovation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've been doing this for a while and I've had this approach for a while and I've run into students 
out in the real world after they've graduated and gone to college and whatever, had families, and I see them again. And every once in a while, they'll say something like, you know, you changed how I watch movies. Or my friends get irritated with me because we'll watch a movie and we'll talk. I'll, I'll always talk about the hero's adventure and I'll talk about the themes and this and that and the other thing. And that's that's cool. But the point of it, I guess, is that by doing things in a way that allows students to explore things on their own and in a creative way, you're making a connection beyond just the content. You're making a connection that allows them to envelop that into their lives or, or integrate that I, that information into their lives in a way that sticks with them and sometimes really long-term. To create strong recall, you mm-hmm. have to make it relevant to them. Mm-hmm. And by involving them in a creative process and think deeply about mm-hmm. a different way to look at it, you're going to get that that added recall. Yeah. They're going to come back and it's going to be mean, right. more meaningful to them. Yeah. Now, as far as it being a starting place for innovation, just by being involved in thinking about any topic in a unique way, in a different perspective, or witnessing other people come to it in a different way, in a different Mm -hmm. perspective, you're creating a a, a culture of Mm -hmm. innovation because at that point in time, they're creating something new, a new pathway, a new idea, a new approach to a topic. There's a lot of different ways that a, a teacher or an educator can do that in their classroom, regardless of the subject. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a craft project. It doesn't exactly. have to be necessarily be a creative writing project. Right. Um, it's really about allowing, in, you know, we, we talked about this at length in um, the previous pod on Tuesday, the EdTech Loop pod about social studies standards. Yeah. It's involving inquiry. Sure. It's asking the questions or even better, having the student ask the questions. Right. We just did some work with creation myths and we gave them some central themes that we often see in creation myths. Things like human beings being made from pieces of the earth or the earth being a mother and the sky being a father and why that's true. And and then part of the experience was to challenge kids to A, select from a wide variety of sources, a number of different myths. So they could, if they were somebody that was interested in Asian culture, we have a lot of kids that love Korean and Japanese culture because of anime and movies and music, they could zoom in on that part of the world. If somebody had been to Mexico and loves that, they could zoom in on that part of the world. Or they could do a, a scattered shot of the Aztecs, the Norse, the Greeks, the Aboriginal Australians, the Japanese, and get a, a worldview. And then one of the things we said, and I feel like this falls within that idea of of creative work, was find the things that you think are similarities across these cultures, where you see details that are similar in the way that like the human beings being made from pieces of the earth is something similar. And that was all different because they were looking at different collections of myths. And so they had to decide what the categories were that summarized the common theme. And then when they presented those to the rest of the class, everyone else was saying, well, that's in mine too, that's in mine too. That's in... And so as a group, as we selected our own pieces and then gave ourselves permission to find the material there instead of just saying, okay, Mr. Noller says these things are in there, let's go find those. They they had to decide I what to I see the commonalities, for. yeah. Yeah, they yeah. had to see, they had to, decide what to look for. And then other people kind of joined the game and said, well, that was in mine too. And yeah. One of the things that you've talked about before is, and I think this is when, when most people think of creativity in the classroom, I think this is where people go, is allowing students to present their findings in their own way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Allowing that level of flexibility mm-hmm. 
to the student to really show their creativity mm-hmm. in whatever way they feel is appropriate to show their their understanding. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about That's another cool. level of creativity. We used to do, when I used to teach Macbeth uh, in the 10th grade English class, there were some options at the end to write a traditional essay, if that's what you're good at, to create uh, an extension of the story of what happens after the end, uh, to write a new piece of poetry as a response to one of the central themes of the piece, or to create a piece of artwork. I would always always get a little bit of pushback. Well, the people who are writing poems aren't writing very much. Sure. But they're finding a new way to express a central idea and making it fit within the context of the original play while also using their own expressions and what makes sense to them in terms of how to express those ideas, I feel like that's a similar level of cognitive work. Yeah. Are they demonstrating understanding? That's, that's right. really what we're going for and here. I had one I had one artist one year who took a piece of cardboard and kind of tore it into a sort of rectangle. Didn't cut it, kind of tore it. And then used a kind of splash painting technique the backdrop was painted all a deep red, and then she used a splash painting technique with um, silvers and golds and black and um, green, and I'm trying to remember some of the other colors she had in there. And to an outsider, it might look like she literally spray painted a piece of cardboard and threw a bunch of paint on it. But then I had her come in and talk about the choices that she made regarding how she created this thing. And it was, this is so long ago, so I might be even fudging a little bit, but she said things like, well, the backdrop of the of the whole play is blood. The whole point of Macbeth is, is how many people he betrays, how many people die at his hand or because of him. Uh, and so I really view the backdrop of this play as being, this is the bloody play. The motivation for that is the, the search for power and wealth, which is represented by the gold. But the reason it's melting down the side has to do with the impact that had on Macbeth as a character. He goes from somebody noble to somebody exactly not by the end of the play. And we see how that gold paint kind of runs down towards the bottom and pools. Just went on and on. And I just sat back and Did she think deeply about the content? Oh, Oh, yes, she did. Oh, yes, she did. Did And going back to what you were commenting about earlier, because she chose a, a different form of expression, mm-hmm. a more a creative form of expression, she had to explain her work. Yep. And creating that student empathy because, as you said, somebody might look at it and be like, I don't get this at all. By her explaining it, suddenly you're building that empathy. Yeah. Oh, I get where she's coming from. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on there. I won't explain this even, but let's just think about the five categories I mentioned. Let's see if these fit this example. Growth mindset. Okay. Confidence, yeah. Uh, personalization, communication, defending and justifying, and then one from yours because I know I skipped one of mine. Um, building empathy, right? Building empathy, yep. Yeah, I mean that project had all that, mm-hmm. and she was able to express a central—not just one, but central themes and ideas from the play—in a way that we all understood. She gets it. Demonstrated understanding. Without having to write a paper and doing something that she actually loved to do. Awesome. Um, Anything else? Here's the thing. We always come down to, okay, so how do we do it? I always feel weird about suggesting here's a thing you can do because Mm -hmm. I don't teach government or algebra or, (laughs) you know, um, yearbook or any of these courses. But there's a lot of help out there on 
that great thing that we call the capital I internet. And um, there's fellow teachers that we have in the district that are doing creative and wonderful things. And I think it's one of those things that we have to, we're going to have to embrace. And maybe it's just going to have to start in little pockets. The World Language Department in the last few years has changed how they do some things and have pushed towards more, some more creative options that their students are doing. Um, and they just decided to do that on their own. So if, or if our math teachers or our science teachers want to push in a, in a creative direction, we need to give them the opportunity to talk about that. And we need to help them find uh, resources and other teachers who are doing it. Um, I can sit here and talk about my wife's biology projects, but until those teachers get an opportunity to work with another teacher who's doing those things and feel comfortable about being able to jump into it, we're at that, I don't have time for it roadblock, mm -hmm. which makes me sad. A, a couple resources that I know we've mentioned on the podcast before, I know, uh, Danielle is all over it. Um, the OK Go Sandbox. OK Go is a kind of an alternative music band. Sure, S super good. The music's good in itself, but yeah, they yeah. have a they have something called the Sandbox. It has four or five videos on it that um, could be used as a curriculum that are definitely creative, nice. that are super interesting. I highly recommend that. Very sciencey, very mathy. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of explaining how they do their videos, mm -hmm. which are, are way way fun. Um, I had mentioned him earlier, John Spencer has all kinds of really interesting ideas on um, the design process and creativity in the classroom. And then uh, Matt Miller uh, in Ditch That Textbook. He had a, um, yeah. a Ditch Book Twitter chat recently uh -huh. about um, uh, creativity in the classroom that had a ton of educators involved. And I will definitely have a link to that in the show notes. So if, if you look at his uh, Twitter feed, um, find that uh, Ditch Book Twitter chat and you'll get a ton of um, ideas Excellent. and resources. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPS Loop. At Technologist. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and anywhere else you get your ear candy. There's a bunch of other spots as well, Spotify and all that. Um, remember, you're never too old to play. Play an RPG today. It's super creative. He is a Hutties archaeologist.